I V M. Welcome to All Things Policy, a daily podcast supported by Pragati, a flagship media initiative of the Takshashila Institution. We're a bunch of policy nerds based in Bengaluru, and we like to bring a fresh perspective to Indian affairs and an Indian perspective to global affairs. So grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and join us for today's chat. Hello, and welcome to another episode of All Things Policy. Today, I, Arti Ratnam, and my colleague Priyal will be talking about gender discrimination in the fashion industry. The Takshashila Institution is an independent, non-partisan think tank and a school of public policy. We have education programs lasting one semester and one year that are tailored specifically to your needs. They are all online, and you can take them from anywhere. Admissions are now open for our 12-week graduate certificate programs in public policy. defense and foreign affairs technology and policy and health and life sciences admissions are also open for our postgraduate program in public policy which is a 48 week course the program begins on 15th january 2022 and the application deadline is on 8th jan now let's get started at the topic at hand so we will fi- primarily focus on two areas first what kind of discrimination even exists in the fashion industry and second what kind of policies can be implemented to bring about a change so there are approximately 40 to 60 million garment workers in the world today and millions more in the supply chain women form a majority of this workforce thus representing the backbone of an industry that is worth almost 3 trillion dollars per year But in most cases we see that women workers are paid low wages and are often subject to countless human rights violation and they are also often forced to work overtime and there are plenty of other issues that we would like to touch upon so i'd like to ask priyal right now to talk about what other issues we see in the fashion industry now right uh, thank you so much uh, arti uh, so one of the like you said um, you know in your introduction that there are nearly 40 to 60 million garment workers in the world today and predominantly um, you know these are women and all of this kind of brings us to the big conversation about the gender wage gap that is so prevalent now despite women representing a majority of the textile workers gender based wage discrimination happens on a wide scale in 2019 the international labor organization had investigated the garment sector in nine countries in asia and published a report that showed that the average raw gender pay gap is approximately around 18% now there was also another study in 2019 on garment factories in bangladesh that showed that men get promoted more than women and thus go up the ladder quicker and this further reinforces the gender gap among uh, workers as women they are equally qualified they are stuck at entry level positions and to add to my previous point to keep the prices low and to be able to compete factories often outsource their production to home workers with almost as much as 60% of the garment production done at home in asia and latin america now home workers have even fewer rights and uh, bargaining power than the factory workers and they earn very little for their work and the hours that they put in 
here again, the vast majority of home workers are women, which is why I think we need to ta- uh, talk about like, you know, gender uh, wage gap uh, needs to be one of the highlights of a conversation when we are talking about the gender discrimination in the fashion industry. But another topic I think we also need to touch about the women employees and the number of female CEOs and the numbers on that. And I think, Aarti, you would like to add to that? Yeah, absolutely. Like you said, it's not just about the wage gap, but also just in terms of employment and the kind of opportunities that women have, you know, to work in a higher level position. So throughout the fashion supply chain, men, despite being a minority, tend to work in better paid and higher level positions such as like general managers and supervisors. And this disparity and inequality doesn't disappear when you go up to the global fashion production chain either. So women account for a vast majority of fashion school students and they also make up more than 70% of the total workforce in the fashion industry. But despite this, women hold less than 25% of leadership positions in top fashion companies. And there was a study conducted by the Council of Fashion Designers of America, Glamour and McKenzie & Company, wherein only 14% of major brands are run by a female executive. And this obviously becomes very challenging for women to even be ambitious to have a a supervisor role or anything on a high up the ladder. So, Interestingly, women start their fashion careers with a high ambition, even higher than men. So at an entry level, 70% of women aspire to become top executives versus 60% of men. But over time, men's ambitions continue to grow, reaching 91% once they reach a higher level. But for women, their ambition remains at 73%. And this clearly suggests that there are so many barriers for women to go up the ladder or get a higher pay or anything of that sort. So in terms of employment, there are clearly issues that need to be addressed. But I think on the other side, it's also important to see how the fashion industry in terms of the clothes that are being designed, what kind of discrimination do we see there? So like, what do you think, Priya? Have you noticed Anything in terms of women's clothing that is quite evident? Um, Yeah. So when we talk about, I think, inherent sexism and gender-based discrimination in the fashion industry and uh, fashion world in general, we have to address the lack of pockets in women's clothing. Because as far as we see, women's pockets are so tiny that they are not at all functional. Now, if we were to deep dive into the history of pockets for a while, we will have to, you know, talk about the Middle Ages. And back then, both men and women lunged around pouches that were hanging by a rope. And this sort of allowed them to carry their essentials with them uh, with ease. Now, clothes also had tiny slits in them so that you could access your pouch easily. So technically, if you're talking only in the terms of rights to pockets, I think we can safely say that there was some sort of equality there. Uh, But the pockets were born in the 17th century when the idea of sewing these pouches in the clothes were materialized. Now, this was basically done so that you could conceal the items you were carrying and keep them close to your body. But however, unlike men's pockets that were 
easily accessible and soon right into the linings of their coats, waistcoats and breeches, women still had to rely on having separate pockets that sat underneath their petticoats. Now, to give you a bit of a context, according to the Victoria and Albert Museum, the average 17th century woman wore a petticoat and two layers of undergarments. Now, her pocket would be tied to her waist in between her under petticoat and a petticoat. Now, women essentially, now to access the contents of their pockets, they had to get undressed, right? Now, when later on in the 1970s, a figure-hugging clothes became a thing and pockets slowly started disappearing. Women had to go back to carrying small decorative bags called reticules that could hardly fit a hanky and a coin. Um, this was sort of like an embodiment of the fact that women had no access to money or property and thus wouldn't require a functional pocket. There are even rumors that during the French Revolution, both external and internal pockets were banned from women's clothing to prevent them from concealing revolutionary material. But in the 20th century, however, it brought up a lot of women rebellions. Now, instruction manuals on how to sew pockets into your skirts became more and more popular as women sort of uh, seeked independence. In the 1800s, there were also campaigns led by the Rational Dress Society fighting for women's clothing to become more functional. In 1910, Suffragette suit with no less than six pockets became a big rage among women. And as the world wars were sparked, women turned to more practical clothing with trousers and large pockets becoming the norm. Women were finally blessed with the pockets that they had been campaigning for years before. But the post-World War era saw a decline of pockets again. Uh, so post-war, women were expected to exude femininity and get rid of clumpy man styles that they had been wearing while the men were away fighting wars. Uh, women's clothing became a slimmer and slimmer and relegating the pockets to become a man's object again. Now, with that, the handbag industry began to grow and slowly pockets were no longer seen as a necessity for women. Aarti also like, you know, touching upon the topic of pockets and clothing in general, what do you think about the preconceived gender notions with respect to clothing? Have you observed some of these? Have you read about it? Have you come across any of these? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, there are the whole fashion industry has just constantly been based on these preconceived gender notions, you know, just even in terms of like color or the kind of wordings you have on like female tops as compared to, you know, for men. So there's just so many like preconceived notions that have existed in the fashion industry for so long, you know, and even in terms of how clothes are named and the kind of clothes, like take for instance, um, there are different kinds of jeans, right? But now there, there's, a sort, there's a category of jeans that are called boyfriend jeans or mom jeans. and just the name itself shows that, you know, it means something different. You know, boyfriend jeans, if if you if you've seen them or if you own a pair, you will know they're a lot more baggy, it's a little more comfortable, it has more pockets. Same thing with mom jeans, you know, it's it's just assumed that 
you know, these are jeans that are meant to be a lot more comfortable as opposed to, you know, a regular pair of jeans that women own. So these these labels that are being used is something of concern and something we need to move away from as well. And interestingly, if you Google women's suits, there are a bunch of images that do pop up with um, a kurta set. And maybe this is just because, like in our culture, we do also call, you know, a kurta as a suit. But I think it just also re-emphasizes these gender notions, you know. And I think we really need to come up with some sort of solution where we break away from these notions. And that being said, we're going to take a break now. But when we come back, we will try and identify you know, what kind of policies can be implemented and what we can do as a society to make these changes. Hello and welcome back. Now, as we said before the break, you know, we identified a lot of issues, a lot of inequalities in in the workplace, in terms of pay, but also in terms of design. So what kind of policies can we implement or what kind of policies have been already implemented where we're breaking away from these notions? Um, so, Phil, have you identified anything or do you, do you have any ideas on how we can move away from these issues? Yeah, I mean, I, if we were to think about it, policies, I think since it's a work-based uh, thing, we need to focus more on um, policies by the companies. Individual companies that are working in the fashion side need to be more um, aware and inclusive. And one of the ways that, you know, they could do that is by providing work-life balance for their women staff. Even like when people work in the lowest sectors of a fashion a garment industry, be it in the supplies, be it in the stitching and stuff, daily wage workers, they still need maternity leave. They still need, you know, a proper work-life balance because I think we've previously touched upon a point wherein, you know, a lot of these um, part-time workers as well as these are women who are homemakers who are involved in uh, these kind of work. And so having a proper childcare support system or flexible work schedules would be extremely helpful in, you know, ensuring that these people get the proper work-life balance. In fact, I think the government is also trying to come up with certain policies to have better work-life balance. The culture department on Saturday launched Samam in September 2021 which was a wide-ranging year-long awareness campaign which focuses on gender equality, improving the participation of women in the workforce. Also, another way to go about it is, you know, increasing the access to mentoring, advice and transparency about career trajectories for women. A lot of times, women are not aware of, you know, the next level that they could aim for. So basically having this kind of like awareness programs, uh, educating them into various trajectories that they could move in this industry would be extremely helpful. Um, We've also seen that how female athletes are um, 
gradually, you know, rejecting the outdated uh, uniform regulations, which have a history of prioritizing feminine aesthetics over comfort. Like, for example, we saw that German gymnasts decided to take a stand against their sexualization, donning full body suits at the European Artistic uh, Gymnastic Championship. Also, the Norwegian women's handball team refined for wearing shorts instead of bikini bottoms. So, I think, you know, sexualization of the uh, or prioritizing the feminine aesthetics by by and large by the people, if it's reduced or if it is stopped, would go a long way. Aarti, do you have any policy suggestions that you have thought about or you've given a thought into? Yeah, I think, you know, so like you said, all of this focuses on what companies can do. And but I think we also need to look at what society at large can do and the first thing is to raise awareness that these issues even exist because I think since there are a lot of men who are CEOs or in higher positions I think often they don't realize that these are problems even to begin with so I think just raising awareness that you know we these are some preconceived notions and this is gender discrimination just to have these dialogues itself is going to make a lot of difference. And I think that's where the role of uh, social media and advertisements comes into play. Because again, a lot of media content is quite sexualized, you know, where you keep emphasizing that women need to look a certain way, they need to dress a certain way. And I think we really need to break away from this. And there are companies across the world that right now that are trying to come up with more gender agnostic or gender neutral clothing. And I think this is an amazing step to take because like I like we've constantly been saying, you know, throughout this episode that these preconceived notions need to end. Like there there shouldn't be any fixed outfit, you know, for for women or you know, or something for men. I think it's 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 amazing that there are a lot of organizations now that are coming up with gender neutral clothes. And I think one step going deeper would be to introduce these conversations at fashion schools. I mean, we we talked about how there was a lot of women who join fashion schools, in fact, more than men. But yet when when they move to the workplace, they don't they're not given the same kind of opportunities. So I think, you know, we need to start introducing these conversations at universities and let women know the kind of support that they have. And like Priyal mentioned, you know, begin the access to mentoring right from the university level. And I think, you know, that will make a lot of change. And finally, just each of us having a conversation, bringing up these issues will, I think, eventually it will all add up in the long run. Priyal, is there anything else that you would like to add? Also, I think one last thing that I wanted to add in addition to whatever you said was involving women in these conversations, right? The more you involve women in these conversations, for example, like I mentioned about the whole, you know, female athletes and their outdated um, uniform regulations. Having these athletes or having women in these conversations about what is comfortable for them with respect to uniforms, whenever any policy is made. Women are the major stakeholders of this conversation. So I think that needs to be addressed and that needs to be prioritized. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, now now that we've brought this issue up and it's good to see that a lot of companies now are also 
you know, coming up with more solutions and trying to employ more women, especially, you know, from a poorer socioeconomic background. I think it's really important to be inclusive now. And, you know, I hope we see changes in the near future. And and yeah, I'd just like to conclude by saying that, you know, I found this conversation eye-opening. And thank you, Priya, for joining me today. Yeah, thank you, Aarti, for inviting me. This was such a great conversation to have. Yeah, and thank you to all of our listeners. And we will see you again in the next episode of All Things Policy. Thank you. If you liked our show, don't forget to check out other interesting podcasts on the IVM network. You can tune into them on the IVM podcast app, ivmpodcast.com, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also follow IVM on social media. The handle is at IVM Podcasts on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. And hey, if you'd like to dive into Takshashila's research on technology, strategy and economic affairs, check us out at our Twitter handle at Takshashila INST or our website takshashila.org.in.